Rising expectations that are not met lead to sadness and anger. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Said in a slightly different way, rising expectations that are not met lead to despair and violence. Rising expectations. Years ago, uh, Saturday Night Live, uh, the people in the room who are cool, right? You know how they make those satirical commercials, their fake commercials? I love them, right? But years ago, they made one for a dating service and it was called Lowered Expectations. <laughs> and I thought it was brilliant, like that's the key to happiness, right? If you keep your expectations low, you'll never be disappointed. And at the same time, there's an incredible sadness to that, right? Lowering your expectations. I wonder to what degree sort of that levity gives us an insight, a little window into what in the world, what in the world Jesus thought he was doing when he goes into the outer courtyard of that beautiful and cherished temple and he trashes it. Again, how do, how do we, even in this, this brief sermon, how do we contextualize this to understand the immense risk that Jesus was taking? He was angry. Maybe he was sad. Maybe it was a, a weird cocktail of the of both of them. And so what I want to do today, and I, I have so many questions for this story, and uh, I want to talk about maybe two ideas that could be at the, at the heart of what Jesus uh, was doing, what led him or motivated him to take this kind of a risk. And I want to wonder together with you. One of the questions I want to ask is, when Jesus went into that outer courtyard, during that Passover, was he surprised? Or was he anticipating seeing something that he'd seen before and he had been churning over and stewing about for years or even a decade? What was happening to Jesus in the days, weeks, months, years before he stepped into that space and decided to do that absurd you may or may not know this, but Jesus uh, was what we could safely refer to as a northerner. Be careful, he was not a Yankee. I don't want <laughs> to get into that. But ancient Israel was divided into two distinct cultures. There were the northern tribes, which was ten tribes, and then there was the southern tribes, two tribes. And Jerusalem was in the south. Jesus was raised in the north. And so, really, effectively for him... Jerusalem was a place that he probably visited yearly, right? That had become the custom, but he was not from there. And so it raises the question for me, he had seen this marketplace, which helped support this religious you know, practice that they did. And so how much had he been thinking about it before that day? There's no way to answer that question. Had he been stewing about it for years? And what was it precisely that made him angry enough to take that risk of being arrested or 
maybe more subtly to be dismissed as somebody that we shouldn't even pay attention to. Now, it's worth noting, this story is in all four Gospels. And if you take a look at where we read it today, it's in the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are similar Gospels, right? they all place this event towards the end of his ministry. Now, this makes sense to me. Right? There are often times when Jesus would say to somebody after he'd done something extraordinary, like a healing or something, or maybe they had talked about him being Messiah, that he said, don't tell anyone. And it gives you the sense, at least as I read it, that Jesus is trying on some level to control the pace of his message and how people are going to hear him and react to him and receive him. Do you guys like to control your lives and people's reaction to you? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke put this story towards the end where I could see where Jesus is escalating. Right Now is the time to sort of like tick it up and really sort of challenge the system. But do you see where it is in John's gospel? It's right out of the gate. It's John chapter 2. He had the miracle at the wedding of Canaan. He probably was barely known, and here he's doing this really absurd thing. John placing this act of disruption at the beginning of his ministry really goes against my sort of comfort level with it in the other Gospels. It's because I'm risk-averse. I don't like conflict. It makes my tummy hurt. But Jesus does this thing, at least in John's telling of it, right at the beginning of his work. And so can we make guesses at the precise reason that Jesus is angry? Of course we can. Is Jesus angry about the economic exploitation that's taking place in that moment? This happens around you and me all the time, and, and not, not just in religious life, but in everything that we have some participation in. All of us have ways of justifying these pockets of exploitation that we participate in. We know that life isn't ideal, but inevitably, even then, good things can come out of systems or things that happen that we know aren't exactly perfect. I've sometimes said it this way, part of being a grown-up, maybe a painful part, is acknowledging that we all have a level of hypocrisy that we're willing to absorb to be okay with, to live with. Those times when our, our truest aspirational values don't quite match up to the things that we do. No one's exempt. So going back into Jesus' context, there's a, a person or a family, think about it, they could start a business that cultivated animals that were used to make sacrifices to God in the temple court. The ritual had, this ritual had a meaningful history for them. There was a beauty to it, a poignancy. King David and later King Hezekiah, they sort of passed what amounted to legislation that would require somebody to make a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in the south and, and make this sacrifice there. You heard it in the story. Jesus is there because it's Passover. Right? So there was a lot of people who would make that trip. This idea of centralizing the things that we do, our rituals, 
they believe that this is something that could unite people, right? You had the experience. When did you go? This is when I'm going. I'm really excited about the trip. That's the upside. But there's a downside too. And again, how long had Jesus been thinking about the complexity of this? Some 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah, right out of the gate of his prophetic writings, he picks a fight with the sacrificial system. Chapter 1. He notices that people are doing all these beautiful things. We have these services, these new moon feasts, the rituals, the sacrifices specifically. And then he says, that has done nothing to change any of us. He said, in fact, if we do all these beautiful things and nothing ever really changes in our hearts, then it's pointless. And the way he describes it is saying, God hates it. He hates it. And then he answers his own question. Well, then what is it that God actually wants? And he says, to cease to do evil, to learn to do good, to seek justice, to rescue the oppressed, to defend the orphan, to plead for the widow. And you can hear his yearning for us. We want these beautiful things that we do to make that happen in our hearts. Rising expectations that are not met lead to sadness and to anger, to despair and to violence. But maybe that wasn't the reason he was mad. Maybe it was part of it. I want to take a risk at guessing that Jesus' attitude in the temple, um, that maybe it had something to do with something larger, more cosmic. Solomon's temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians some 800 years before that. The temple that Jesus was in, in our story, had been rebuilt. It was built by King Herod the Great. King Herod was a Jewish king, but he was a puppet king. He was known for being a great builder, historically. And he is the same King Herod who at the rumor of the birth of a king in his kingdom issued a decree to slaughter all of the toddlers, toddler boys in his kingdom. He was not a good person, but he was successful. And the temple that Jesus was trashing was the one that King Herod built. And so it raises this question for us, if we were building a beautiful, sacred space, but we knew that the resources that we were using to build it were mostly tainted, come from an unethical source, to what degree does it tarnish the sacredness of the space? One of the aspects of our spirituality that we speak of every week in Eucharistic prayer, we're going to Dean Churchwell is going to lead us in it here uh, momentarily as we tell the story of Jesus' atoning sacrifice. He offers himself once for all. He poetically and intensely refers to it 
in this heated exchange he has with the religious authorities when they say to him, what are you doing? What, you give us a miracle or a sign that shows us you have the right to do what you're doing. And his answer, he says, tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. Now he's alluding to this willing sacrifice that he's going to make. A once and done act that will end the need for this space that he's walking around in, in that moment. And maybe I could say poetically and historically, some 40 years later, Rome burned that temple to the ground. And it has never been rebuilt. It makes me wonder. And so was Jesus, part of what he doing, was he anticipating with his actions, something that he would do that would make all of this system, it would change the need for it profoundly. What was stewing in Jesus before that day? Rising expectations that are not met lead to sadness and to anger. Now, I don't know the answer, but I wanted to raise the questions for us because I think both questions that they can cultivate in us a deepening of our sense of who Jesus was and what he loved and he cared about. And as I sort of completed this sermon this week, I was a little bit apprehensive because I wondered where is the good news in this story? And I think it's in the words he said to his religious leaders. Tear this building down, and in three days, I'll build it back up. Our God and Maker, give us hearts of compassion. Give us a willingness to let our rituals and our art elevate us to your higher purpose, to love more deeply, and to see each other and you more clearly. I pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.